0: Hey guys, real quick, just wanted to let you know before we get started on this episode that I had a tiny bit of technical difficulties with this particular recording. Um, there's some very, very brief static uh, things that come up every now and then. I cleaned it up as best I could, but I still felt like I should you know, give you guys a little bit of a warning. Uh, but don't worry, it's not throughout the entire recording. Just wanted to give you a heads up. Uh, thank you and enjoy the show. You're traveling through another podcast. A podcast not only of reviewing and discussing, but of discovery. A journey into a wondrous show whose boundaries are that of imagination. That's the RSS feed up ahead. Your next stop Anthology. Hello, and welcome to Anthology, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. Anthology is one man's examination of the Twilight Zone as a first-time viewer. Each podcast, I review one episode of Rod Serling's iconic series and round out the show with a bonus review of a movie or show related to the week's main topic. I also cover modern anthology science fiction shows such as Black Mirror, Dimension 404, and the upcoming Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams in bonus episode review series. You can find more of Anthology as well as a full episode archive at anthologypod.com. And you can find more of my uh, podcasting and more of my shows at obsessiveviewer.com slash podcasts. And if you want to contact me, you can use the Facebook page at facebook.com slash anthologypod, tweet me at Obsessive Viewer, or send an email to matt at obsessiveviewer.com. So today on the podcast, I'm going to be discussing Nick of Time, which is the seventh episode of the Twilight Zone's second season, and it originally aired on November 18th, 1960. Um, which today I'm actually recording it on, I'm recording this episode on November 18th, uh, 2017. So that's kind of a fun thing. Um, <laughs> and for this week's bonus review, I'll share my thoughts on profile and silver and button button, which are a pair of stories featured in the 1985 remake of the twilight zone. And this week's bonus review suggestion was made by frequent emailer and longtime listener Greg. So thank you for the, uh, recommendation and the suggestion. And so before I get to the actual review, I have a few things to say or a few things to go through um before I get into this week's episode. Uh first and foremost is I apologize for the for another uh hiatus, uh impromptu hiatus. Uh, just things have gotten crazy and uh everything's good. It's just I haven't had as much time to actually sit down and and record these episodes. But um, I'm back, and I appreciate your guys' patience. And I also have a little bit of uh, listener feedback to go through. Uh, Just one email this week. Uh, This comes in from a new listener named Robert, who actually just recently became a supporter of Anthology on Patreon uh, which you can do that at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. Uh, that's for recurring monthly, uh, donations. And I'm very, very happy and excited about Robert's, uh, pledge for, uh, anthology on Patreon because he actually chose the reward tier that lets him choose a bonus review for me to, um, review in an episode. And, uh, so yeah, so I actually had an opening here in a couple of weeks for the episode covering the trouble with Templeton and he, I sent Robert an email and asked him uh what he would like me to review uh for his Patreon support and I was so ecstatic because he uh he responded with uh Sunshine, which happens to be one of my favorite movies. And I'm so excited to get to that episode and, and uh, talk about Sunshine um, and The Trouble with Templeton. So that'll be in a couple weeks. Thank you so much, Robert, for your patronage and for listening and for supporting the show. And as I said, he also sent an email in, and I I'll just go ahead and read that now. Robert writes, Hey Matt, I just wanted to write and tell you how much I'm enjoying your anthology podcast on Black Mirror. I've been a fan of Black Mirror for a few years, and I don't, and as I don't know many people who watch it, I searched for a podcast about it. I just wanted to hear other people's thoughts about it. I was ecstatic to hear that 15 million merits was your favorite episode, too. That's my go-to episode I show to people to try and get them hooked on the show. Anyways, thanks for taking the time to talk about the show, and I plan on listening to your Twilight Zone podcasts when I start watching the show. So thank you so much, Robert. I really appreciate that. And yeah, 15 million merits is still one of my absolute favorite episodes of television, really. <laughs> it's it's so great. Um and kind of in a uh uh tangentially related to that, I actually just found out, I think it was yesterday or the day before, that Black Mirror has a book coming out in February, I think it's February 18th. Or it might be the seventeenth. But it is available on um Amazon for pre order right now. The hardcover edition is. And it it's also available on Amazon or on I'm sorry, on Audible to pre-order. It's essentially it's three um short stories um edited by Charlie Brooker. And it is going to be released in February. Um depending on how I can't commit to it, but depending on how um the bonus episodes uh, pan out timing wise, I might uh, do an an additional like little bonus episode about kind of reviewing that book when it comes out. But we'll see that's that's in February. That's exciting. I'll put a link to the uh, Amazon page in the show notes of this episode. And then finally, finally, the last piece of uh, business to bring up is that Uh, here, a couple of, or probably at this point, probably about three weeks ago, two, three weeks ago, um, it was announced that, uh, Jordan Peele's production company is going to, um, uh, be at the helm of a remake of The Twilight Zone. That's going to be for CBS All Access, which for those who are unfamiliar, CBS All Access is, um, CBS is kind of paid, um, streaming service. It's the thing that they launched, um, I believe it was earlier this year, uh, they launched it and that's what Star Trek Discovery is currently, um, airing on exclusively, I think it's something like five or six dollars a month. I haven't tried it yet even though i'm I'm very uh, curious to check out the new Star Trek series. Um, I haven't had time to check it out, but it's an interesting idea um, uh, at the risk of kind of derailing this episode a little bit. the whole idea of CBS going this doing the streaming service route I think one of the things that culturally we love about i'm not i I mean speaking on behalf of the entire culture (laughs) that we're in i feel like the the vibe that everyone has for uh toward like netflix and hulu and everything is that that's an alternative to having a cable subscription and uh just a a massive cable bill and i feel like with Networks kind of going toward the oh let's start our own streaming service thing, um, like CBS is doing it with CBS All Access, and then Disney is actually in the process of doing their own one. Um, that there's rumors that all of the Netflix Marvel shows are going to go to that or, or something. I don't. It's all up in the air, but that's kind of going to be an interesting future because it's going to be kind of just basically going back to the same thing. It's going to be a la carte. Uh, programming, essentially, for everyone to pick which streaming service they want for which month, which, I mean, it's not actually not really that bleak of a future, to be honest, because I mean, I can subscribe to HBO Go or HBO Now, and then when Game of Thrones or, or another show that I watch on HBO ends, just cancel that subscription, go to Hulu for the latest season of say, The Path or one of their other shows, go back to CBS All Access for Star Trek or The Twilight Zone. So it's it's an interesting future. It's just an interesting thing. You hear more about me talking about this kind of stuff on the Obsessive Viewer podcast. But going back to The Twilight Zone, um, so this wasn't – it wasn't technically officially announced. Um, the way that it was announced per se was that um, the – Uh, Les Moonvese, the the kind of head of CBS, had a... had like a shareholders' call or, or um, something to that effect, where he mentioned it. So uh, here's what here's what it says: uh, CBS Corp- uh, Corporation CEO Leslie Moonves announced on November second, twenty seventeen, during the company's earnings call, that CBS All Access is readying a new take on the iconic sci-fi anthology, The Twilight Zone. It's unclear at the moment if it's a straight to series order or just in development. So it's kind of up in the air. It's not official or uh, it's not necessarily official at this point but um the information that we have is that Jordan Peel's production company I th- want to say it's called Monkey Paw Productions which is fitting um <laughs> uh but his production company is going to be at the helm of it now Jordan Peel isn't going to be um the showrunner of the of the new iteration of Twilight Zone so so he's not going to serve as showrunner for for the series, but he's going to be a producer on it. So I feel like some of the, I don't know about confusion, or I think that there's maybe a misconception that this uh, that this is going to be Jordan Peele running the Jordan Peele doing the Rod Serling thing for for this iteration of the Twilight Zone, where he's actually just going to be a um, a producer on it and. Uh, This guy, Marco Ramirez, who previously worked on um, Daredevil and The Defenders on Netflix, and uh, also on Sons of Anarchy, he's going to be writing the script and serving as showrunner for the series. That is about all of the information that we have. Now, um, going back to talking about CBS All Access for a second, I think that this is, I don't know if I'd say inspiring or... um, it, it it's a little more encouraging that CBS is, I don't even know if I'd say encouraging. It's, it's interesting that CBS is taking their most iconic properties and, and bringing them back for CBS all access. So they've done this with star Trek discovery. Now they're in the process of developing it for uh, developing the twilight zone for it, which I'm all for. It shows that they're serious about it. and, hopefully this means that they'll take proper care of the twilight zone and as far as jordan peele is concerned he if you haven't seen the movie get out i highly recommend checking it out it's a phenomenal movie it's it's this incredible um comedy horror movie that's it's it is like a long form it's in the spirit of like the twilight zone it's 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 covered in social commentary, and it was recently um, put into the Golden Globes for, for uh, the comedy category. And Jordan Peele said that it's not a comedy. It's more a documentary, and, and it fits into the comedy category just because there's no social um, – I can't remember the phrase that he used but I, or the term that he used. But something to the effect of there's no social commentary category. It's It's such an incredible – Movie and and it's really fantastic. Um, having said that, this I mean, while he's not going to be the showrunner of the series, I mean his name is going to be attached to it. His production company Monkey Paw is going to be responsible for it. His name is going to be attached to it. So I'm sure that he's going to be um, maybe not maybe not uh, affecting the day to day of the production, but I'm sure he's going to do what he what's within his power as producer to create a. Um, a quality product. And I just, I'm excited about it. I'm much, much more excited about this than the, uh, Ken Levine reboot or remake that was going to be <laughs> interactive. It was going to have audience interaction, kind of a choose your own adventure style, uh, interactivity to it, which, I mean, that, <sighs> The more I've thought about it since that was announced, I think, a year and a half ago or about a year, year and a half ago, maybe two years ago, um, since that was announced, like the more I've mulled it over in my head, there's no way. There is no way to do that without it becoming gimmicky or uh, being kind of just bizarre and not really working. I don't think audiences would really go for that. So I'm relieved that we're getting this from uh, Jordan Peele and his production company because I firmly believe that Jordan Peele's brilliant. And, uh, I'm, I'm sure that he'll, uh, make sure that we have a, uh, worthy iteration of the twilight zone. So as more news comes out on that, I'll, 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 uh, keep everyone posted on that, but I am very excited for that. So, um, having said all of that, uh, I'm going to go ahead and go into my review of Nick of time. Um, as I said before, this is episode seven of Twilight Zone's second season, and it aired on November 18th, 1960. And of course, at this point, we are going to be spoiling this episode of the Twilight Zone. So if you haven't seen the episode, uh, go check it out Netflix, Hulu, all that stuff. Um, and then come back and check it out. So to get us kicked off, I'm gonna, I'm going to begin with a plot summary courtesy of Twilight Zone unlocking. The uh, Unlocking the Door to a Television Classic by Martin Grahams Jr. And the plot description is as follows. Due to automotive troubles, a honeymooning couple, Don and Pat Carter, find themselves temporarily laid over for a few hours in a small country town. While grabbing a bite to eat at a small diner, young Don, with a superstitious instinct, plays with a mystic seer on the edge of a table. After six straight answers and two predictions coming true, including Don pulling his wife from the path of a speeding truck, he starts to suspect the mystic seer is more than just a penny arcade, more than just a small penny arcade. Pat attempts to explain to her husband that the machine only speaks in riddles. It was was he who created the details. A strong believer in coincidence, Pat attempts to prove the machine wrong so that her husband will break the obsession but she fails to pull him away from the machine she pleads with don to believe in luck and fortune rather than allow a machine dictate his life realizing a life with pat is more important he agrees to leave while another couple enters the cafe making their return trip to the same mystic seer starring in this episode as don carter is uh, william shatner making his first of two Twilight Zone appearances. Um, of course, his next and last episode is going to be in season five's iconic nightmare at 20,000 feet. Um, he also appeared in two productions of Serling's teleplay, Mr. Finchley versus the bomb. Um, first production, the first production of that was on Playbill and aired on January 19th, 1955. And the second production of it was on the Kaiser Aluminum Hour, which aired on September 25th, 1956. And he also appeared in, um, Serling's Playhouse 90 episode titled, A Town Has Turned to Dust, which aired on June 19th, 1958. As far as other science fiction anthology shows are concerned, he also appeared in one episode of One Step Beyond in 1960. That episode was titled The Promise. And he also appeared in one episode of The Outer Limits in 1964, titled Cold Hands, Warm Heart. And of course... William Shatner is best known as uh Captain uh Captain Kirk on Star Trek which aired um I believe it aired uh, three years after this I believe is when it premiered in 63 um and it's interesting cuz Star Trek is on a similar level to The Twilight Zone as far as social commentary and science fiction uh, television is is concerned with me. It's an, it's an incredible series, and it also has kind of an, an anthological uh, feel to it. Every episode is its own self-contained story and everything. So, um, so yeah, so that's William Shatner. Um, <laughs> appearing as Don Carter's wife, Pat, is Patricia Breslin. This is her first of two Twilight Zone episodes. She will appear again in season four's No Time Like the Past, and she also appeared in a Serling written T V movie called Man Against Pain. And jud from everything that I could see, I, I couldn't find that much information about her. Um but she had uh it appears that she stopped acting in nineteen sixty six. And an interesting piece of trivia is that she was married at one point to David, uh, Oric McDearman, who directed three Twilight Zone episodes, including the pre- ones that I've reviewed already titled uh, Execution and A Thing About Machines. So, um, that's interesting. <laughs> and, uh, writer for this episode was Richard Matheson. This is his sixth of 16 Twilight Zone episodes and the next episode of his that we'll see is The Invaders which is later this season and a little bit of trivia about this episode and his his role in it um Richard Matheson he was uh he really liked Patricia Breslin's um acting and that he liked it so much that he he lobbied for her to be given a similar role in Shatner's uh, uh or in the uh Nightmare at 20,000 Feet episode. But unfortunately, that didn't come to fruition. And according to the um, Unlocking the Door to a Television Classic, Matheson said that the inspiration for this episode was a trip to a diner or a coffee shop that he and his wife took in the San Fernando Valley at one point that had a little fortune telling machine. And um, he had tried to do it, or he (laughs) he had used it on that trip. He got the idea that the. the answers, it was a similar type of fortune-telling uh, device, but it gave the impression of telling the future. So that's the genesis of that episode. And director for this episode is Richard L. Bear. This is his third episode of seven. Uh, next is The Prime Mover, which is going to be later this season. And uh, director Boris Sagel. Uh, was originally slated to direct, but uh, he had a scheduling conflict, so that's when uh, Richard Albert took over, and Segal eventually went on to direct two episodes of the series, uh, The Silence and The Arrival. And from everything that I can read, or that I've found, it seems like it was a pretty solid production. There there were no, like, snafus. Trivia is actually kind of a little tough to come by on this episode, so the trivia section is going to be kind of brief. But uh, I believe it actually uh, completed production under budget and maybe even a little early. Um, so that's all good. So now I've come to my feelings as a first time viewer of this episode of the twilight zone. And before going into this episode, I knew that it had something to do with a diner and a couple and that there was some magic thing on the table with a demon head. (laughs) Um, that is all that I really knew about the episode. I didn't even know that William Shatner was in it. Um, My perception of it was that it was a just a demonic presence that kind of kind of similar to the uh, the man in the bottle. Like I was thinking that it would be something that granted wishes with terrible um, consequences to each wish going into the review of the episode. I really liked the just right off the bat i really liked the um relationship between uh don and pat in this episode they are so clearly like newlyweds and and in love and it's they seem like they're even though they're kind of stuck in the small town and they're clearly kind of out of their element in terms of or they're not in their comfort zone because they seem like they're somewhat big city people like don is in uh in line for a big promotion at a company and it's he's going to be a very uh it's going to be a very prosperous future for them um they don't seem phased by it because they seem in in their body language and in the dialogue everything is about their their relationship as a couple and how they're connected and that's that's it, there's a certain emphasis on on their relationship that I found very first of all very charming and very uh it was kind of a, it's an interesting um, juxtaposition because the episode kind of romanticizes their relationship while also being um, this depiction of the small American town that's very much a um, the prototypical small town America that has kind of just kind of folksy small town energy. Um, you know, a guy and a mechanic that's, that's totally like, uh, is straightforward with them, at least for the most part, or at least it seems that way. Um, straightforward with them saying like, yeah, it's going to take a few hours. And then when they go to the diner, the, uh, the, the, uh, waiter is, is super friendly and, and, uh, charming in his own way. So it's an interesting juxtaposition of this small town life and this, this small, uh, small American town with this newlywed couple that are just kind of over the moon with each other. And there was something that, um, I, uh, didn't, understand uh, and that might just be me being a 31-year-old in 2017 but um there's a part where they're crossing the street and i th- i think that this is the first kind of hint or the first uh indication that that don is this super um superstitious guy but he and he and uh pat are about to cross uh across the street and they're about to they're holding hands and they're about to cross a light pole Don stops and then walks around the bolt so that they don't break their, their hand holding or they don't, they don't get crossed. It doesn't cross in between them. Um, and then he says, just trying to save your life. And I couldn't, I've watched this episode a few times and I couldn't discern if that's like, if that, if that's like a thing where like kind of like, um, how kids don't step on cracks on the sidewalk. Um, as far as superstition is concerned. Um, that was my read on it. I don't know if I was reading into it or if that's that's not what it was. But that read of it, at least, really uh, ups the charm of it and and gets a good indication that oh, okay, Don is. I mean, they're they're both in love. They they clearly uh, have a lot of affection for each other. And Don is just a superstitious guy. And all of that is just shown to us um, in such a fluid way, in such a an effortless way. Uh, more importantly, because we're not like told that, oh yeah, he is superstitious or they're not right out of the gate having some conflict about how superstitious and and um, and and cautious he is and everything. Um, the, it's a it's a slow burn in a twenty two episode twenty two minute or twenty four minute episode, and that's something I really appreciate about the Twilight Zone in general. And then I want to point out when they enter the diner, there's this really really interesting and unique shot where they the camera is zoomed in on them in the doorway and they come in and as they're walking into the diner the camera just shifts a little bit to the left and then and then uh zooms out and you see that it's that we're seeing them from behind a little divider and in one of the cross sections of a a divider and i just thought that that was just i mean it's it's a handful of frames. It's or it's a just a a few seconds of a shot, but I thought that that was really cool. I thought that that was just a really cool um, uh, visual flair to the episode. And we get more of them being this sweet couple. Like they dance, um, they dance in the diner to the jukebox, and it's just a really sweet way to establish their affection toward one another and also this may this episode made me really thirsty for that iced coffee it looked delicious um that they ordered um so we get the, the we get the first kind of look at the mystic seer which um it looks cool like i want one of those for my apartment um the the kind of demon head at the at the top of it was was a nice touch and a nice flourish with it um but we get kind of the first indication of it or the first um our introduction to it is him him getting the inclination to go and uh make the call to to see about the job that's when he finds out that he's he's got the job and everything's super they're both super happy and it's very it's a huge relief and while he's going to make that call, we get the shot of Pat going through uh or holding on to his uh keys. And we see he has a rabbit's foot and a four leaf clover. So that's the kind of, that's the overt, um, kind of confirmation that he is the superstitious type more so than, than normal, more so than would be normally, I wouldn't say accepted, but normally seen in, in a person. And that's the first indication that this would be, um, maybe cause some trouble for the for the couple in the episode. And I've talked a lot about their relationship and how the how the episode really shows um, how just innocent and sweet they are on each other. Um, and then we get his reaction to um, to getting the word of the promotion. And like William Shatner's performance in that scene is is really great. Like, I love the enthusiasm he brings to it because it's not like it's, it's not like it's, uh, steeped in ambition or greed. He's not like this power hungry, like prosper seeking. Like he, he isn't putting his, his happiness ahead of, uh, of his work work and everything. He's not, he's not priority. He's not misprioritizing thing. He is just genuinely enthusiastic and, And it's just comes from such a, such an honest place that it really makes you root for the character and for the couple. And then we get the kind, the kind of opposing viewpoints, like Pat isn't buying the whole Mystic Seer thing and Don is kind of getting a little bit more wrapped up in it. And as an aside, I just, I love depictions of couples who have abusing viewpoints on things. Um, because they're, there's something about, having a a piece of fiction that shows two people who are otherwise perfectly suited for each other or are completely um uh completely in sync with each other but then throwing one little thing in there to kind of kind of wrinkle things a little bit but not it doesn't damage them too much like this whole this whole thing with with Don becoming obsessed with the mystic seer this isn't necessarily the main conflict of the episode isn't that their, that their marriage is in jeopardy. It's just, it's a small, it's a small look at something that could kind of grow into a huge thing, uh, a huge point of contention for their relationship. But here in the confines of this episode, it's just that first inclination of it. It's not a huge widespread issue that's going to be ruinous to it. I didn't, at, not at any point that I feel worried for their relationship because they felt like such a genuine couple but seeing seeing them uh, go back and forth about how uh about their opposing viewpoints of it is just or their opposing viewpoints to the mystic seer was just a very genuinely um engaging and interesting conflict for me and when, uh, <laughs> I kind of like the answer. I, I like the answers that the Mystic Seer gives. Um, there's one where, uh, Don asks, is it really going to be four hours before we leave? And the response is, uh, you may never know, which at the time when I saw this episode, it wasn't like I didn't know what, what the narrative was moving toward and just seeing you may never know that was Genuinely creepy. Like, I was, I was kind of creeped out by it because I didn't know what to expect. And that is such, the beauty of the Mystic Seer and, and the way that it, it works and everything is that it is, it's so ominous in its vagueness. Like, all, how vague it is, is so, there's such a sense of foreboding to it. It's, it's just a really captivating, um, narrative narrative structure essentially and it's it's such a like being able to uh the idea of being told that being told the future and only yes or no answers that is such a simple narrative device but it makes things so constrained and complex and it makes it so uh riveting really so it becomes so riveting and so um, interesting that when they actually leave the diner um, after Don stalls for the clock to turn to three, um, when they leave the diner, I was actually incredibly nervous. Like I was very, I was very not necessarily, it, it wasn't like a, Oh, I'm on the edge of my seat. I'm, I'm, I'm so scared about what's going to happen, but I was genuinely just a little, like my blood pressure was a little bit elevated and, and, part of that is just the amazing setup for this, for this encounter, the, the really strong setup for it. Um, but also the score in that moment is when they're leaving the diner is very low key. It's, it's kind of, it's not, it's a little, it's a little soft, but it is, has this sense of foreboding to it. That's really, uh, really interesting or really, really helped elevate the tension in that scene. And so, uh, we get, a point where my my reaction to this as someone in 2017 there's a scene where um they're crossing the street and pat is kind of telling don that he's being childish and and everything and then uh don gets kind of frustrated and he says stop treating me like a retarded child and when i saw that i just thought wow that's 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 amazing because that would not, fly, obviously, that would not fly in 2017. And it's, uh, it's just an interesting, interesting to see that in the 60s. Um, I have a piece of trivia about that, uh, but I'll save that for the trivia section. And then I, I did notice that there was one slight blemish, or I wouldn't say blemish, it didn't affect my enjoyment of the episode at all, but I felt like the, the sound design in the, in the scenes that were shot outside. Um, I noticed it on my first and second viewing, but not so much on my third viewing cause I was more, uh, accustomed to it, but it kind of felt like there was a little bit more ambient noise than there should have been, but it's, it wasn't anything that affected the episode for me at all. And then once we get into, as we were going into the second act of the episode or the second part of the episode, um, I actually paused it and I had some, some notes that I made to, uh, kind of not guess where it would go, but kind of to have my thoughts. So I was wondering at that point, if Don was going to try to use the mystic seer for personal gain and then become corrupted by it, Um, which I mean, that felt like a natural progression for the episode, but I'm so glad that that wasn't the case just because I mean, this show or this episode, this story is about the couple and it's about their, connection and 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 how they're going to get through this particular thing it's not it's not about don using it like don's obsession with it per se although that is a big part of it um and then i also guessed or i wondered if it would uh if his enthusiasm over it would just drive a wedge between him and his wife which was pretty much the the case and uh I did have a little bit of a prediction, or not prediction, but um, an idea I said, or I wrote. Um, I'd like to see it end with the revelation that it's not actually mystical or supernatural, that he's just pouring himself into it, and that it's all just a uh, reflection of a personal defect that he has, that he is so wrapped up in, in su- his superstitious mind. Um, I wrote that I wrote that it would—in uh, my notes I said that he's just crazy, but that's not necessarily— not necessarily what I was really getting at. It's just that it would have been a big depiction of his biggest character flaw. Um, I don't know how they could have pulled that off if they went that way. Um, and I'm glad that they didn't, I'm glad that it went it went the way it did. Um, the shot of, um, Pat almost getting run over. Um, very cool. Uh, I, I liked, I liked that. It's very, uh, The sound effects of it were um, the most effective part for me. Seeing the car kind of uh, barreling toward her, and then him, uh, uh, Don pulling her away and saving her. Like I like that it. I like that she was still in danger. I like that him's waiting until or waiting out the um, the clock and everything wasn't. I'm glad that it wasn't like oh they just witnessed like a near miss or anything. I like that he physically rescued her or physically saved her from it. And it was shot very well. So then they go back to the diner and, uh, what I noticed was that, uh, they, at this point, at this point in time, they're sitting on opposite sides of the booth, which I thought was a very nice touch. Um, just showing the, just having a visual representation of their, uh, kind of rift or their growing rift there. And so their, their conversation is really, really fascinating or not fascinating, but it's very engaging because they are, they're a newlywed couple who have very, um, they have opposing viewpoints of this very specific thing. And as they're discussing, and it kind of reminded me of, uh, a little bit of lost one of my favorite shows. um, It reminded me of the the whole, uh, statement of like, do not confuse coincidence with fate. And I love those types of psychological thought experiments, I guess, uh, trying to see what, see what, what something is or, or see if something is, uh, has meaning behind it or if it's something that you're, um, putting into something that's not there. And I, I liked the, um, Inclusion of Pat trying to stump it with asking uh, asking kind of ridiculous questions. And then even more so, I liked uh, Don's reaction to that. Because it, it felt like he was a little bit... It almost felt like he was um, offended by it a little bit. Or that she was disrespecting, disrespecting the mystic seer. Um, because he does put so much imp- importance onto this... Little, as she says later in the episode, this little napkin holder. And so, I just, I just loved the conflict between Don and Pat because they are still this charming couple, but they have these opposing viewpoints on this very, uh, this very small but big in their minds um, issue. And Don's kind of fixation on the mystic Seer, I felt, was a stronger depiction of obsession uh to me than franklin gibbs's obsession uh with the uh one-armed bandit and the fever last season um and i felt that way because specifically because pat is frightened by it like it's not like the mystic seer doesn't come and taunt like come to life and taunt don or murder him at the end of the episode or anything but pat's fear isn't Pat's fear is that she is she feels that she's going to lose Don um or lose the things about him that she loves and lose like cuz he is putting he is putting all of his effort into knowing the future and he's putting all of these thoughts and insecurities about the future into the mystic seer and he is from what I'm assuming this is my conjecture here but Pat is seeing a – my read on it is that Pat is seeing Don's insecurities and unsure um, – and his doubts of the future, he's pouring those into the mystic seer to get uh, – there, there can almost be a read on the episode that he is – they're a newlywed couple and he's having second thoughts not second thoughts per se, but he's nervous about it because he's entering, they're both entering this new stage of their life Um while still being this newlywed couple. But he sees this thing. It's not, it's not as uh strongly drawn as it, like that's not the focal point of it, but that is one particular read on the episode that you can, that you can make. And one of the great, great lines of this episode is when Pat tells Don that, uh, she says, I don't want to know what's going to happen. I want us to make it happen. Which, like that, that's such a beautiful line. And Don reacts to that in, in such a caring way because it's, because it's, this is, this isn't an episode about Don losing himself and losing, losing his wife to, or losing his life to this mystic seer or anything. He is being pulled out of this, out of this superstitious obsession and back into his, his life that he is about to start with Pat. And I think that that is such a sweet and optimistic and beautiful sentiment to, uh, end the episode on. And, uh, I was so wrapped up in this episode that I didn't, I wasn't like conscious of how much runtime had been, had expired or anything. But, uh, when they leave the diner, and then we see the other couple come in. I honestly thought like, did did this, I, for a second I thought, is this episode like halfway over and we just switched protagonists? Um, but I like that the other couple, uh, that this was just the end of the episode where it shows this other couple who has had a different um, situation or a different uh, experience with the mystic seer. And there are a couple couple of interesting ways to – or a couple of interesting reads that I had on it. Um, my initial thought was that this couple is what Don and Pat could have become. And that made me feel so happy for this couple that I've – in the basic runtime of this episode, I've I've formed a connection with because they're such a charming and, and – uh, uh, compatible couple in the episode, and it left me feeling like this is this is such an optimistic episode. Like there's there's such an optimism that's running throughout this episode that the kind of like kind of like I said when comparing it to the fever, it's not this dark ending where Don loses his life or anything like that. They had an experience. It it's almost that it. it without without this other couple coming in um, you you wouldn't think that there was anything Twilight Zony about it there wouldn't be anything that would be uh, supernatural or or otherworldly or anything this could have just been this couple and this uh, this man coming to terms with his uh new role of of putting his putting his new wife above his own uh quirks and insecurities and stuff um and that's such a, it's such a beautiful episode because it like this, this didn't have to be a twilight zone esque episode, but it fits so well in the twilight zone specifically because the twilight zone elements of it are so underplayed and understated. And in the emphasis is on the couple and their relationship and their journey throughout this episode. It's I, I loved it. Um, so, I think kind of the obvious thing is that this is that this other couple is the alternative, the alternate versions of Don and Pat, not literally just that they, they experienced, they went through the, uh, um, missed the experience of, of interacting with the mystic seer. And then this other couple had done it before and had a very different and darker ending to it. Um, and then when I rewatched the episode, I kind of wondered, I started to wonder and I, I don't know if I'm just putting stuff in there that's not there, but I felt like the couple at the end were, I don't know if this is purposeful or, or what, but it felt like they were an older couple. Like they're, they're not these, these newlyweds that, that are just experiencing this. Um, they feel like, they seem like they're just a, uh, run of the mill couple who have been together for a long time. Um, the, the, uh, costuming of them is so so great because one look at them you can tell they're frazzled they're very run down um, they're very disheveled because they've they've been in the Twilight Zone for so long uh, presumably uh, like the, you can't tell how much time they've spent in this uh, in this town trapped in this town but it kind of made me wonder if there's something to be said about the episode um, maybe being about uh, young slash new love that has the future kind of unwritten. Um, like the, like Don and Pat are a newlywed couple who are striking out on their own. They're, they're, or they're, uh, they're starting their life together. Whereas this other couple, um, at the end who are trapped by the mystic seer in this town with no way out, um, presumably, they seem like they are an older couple who have been in, they've been in their life together for a long time. And maybe I'm just putting stuff in there. That's obviously not there on it, but that's one of the great things about the twilight zone is this, just the conjecture and everything. Um, it makes me think that this couple, since they're not, since they're kind of in this marriage or in this, in this life together for such a long time, Presumably they presumably my read on is that they've been married for a long time. They're used to each other. They don't have that kind of opposition or they don't have that they don't have these I don't know. I, I don't know how I'm trying to phrase it. And this is the problem with me being a thirty-one year old single guy in Indianapolis. Uh like I'm I'm thirty-one single, so I can't say for certain, but my read on it is that they have been married for a long time, so they don't have that that they're more in sync as a couple and so they're they're drawn into the mystic seer and they've lost the um they've lost the desire to prioritize their their life together um overall their happiness uh, versus their their current happiness versus their their current mental state with their with each other versus what could be and I think that's what gets them wrapped up in it um, yeah but regardless if that's intentional or if that's just what I'm reading into it regardless of what's intended I really love the ending overall it uh, totally subverts what we've come to expect from the Twilight Zone at this point um, like the story of the couple at the end of the episode that that their story of actually being trapped and drawn into the mystics here and trapped in the town that alone would have made for just as compelling an episode of the twilight zone. And like I said, the way that they're just clearly disheveled and desperate means that they must have gone through some really crazy stuff. Um, like outside of, of what we've uh, what we see in that scene, but instead we get this uplifting ending with our protagonists in in a way defeating the Twilight Zone in a manner of speaking. And I just, I, I love that because that just subverts what you kind of come to expect from the Twilight Zone. You think something terrible is going to happen. Um, and I know that Twilight Zone has these, has different types of endings and everything, but that's just kind of something that I, come to expect, like something terrible is going to happen. But this episode is the emphasis is on the couple and and on their relationship and everything. So instead we get this uplifting episode and I was very charmed by it. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, so yeah, so like I said, I don't have that much trivia for this episode. Um, the only thing really that I have is, uh, Uh, on the DVD, it doesn't have a next time on the Twilight Zone, um, thing because the show was actually preempted a week after this, um, for an hour long television special of uh, CBS reports, a documentary called Harvest of Shame, which was about a, uh, quote, a study on migratory farm workers in the country, um, with Edward R. Murrow, uh, edward r murrow uh serving as host and producer on it so that's interesting and yeah my other piece of trivia is that i had that thought about the the line um don't treat me like a retarded child um and i was kind of not taken aback by it i wasn't offended by it or anything but i just thought my initial thought was like oh wow that's you know an interesting sign of the times, like versus now versus then. But it actually turns out that uh, Serling actually got a letter from a woman who saw the show. And like this was kind of an immediate reaction, <laughs> like like this woman had written a letter and sent it uh, to sent it to Serling and, and the producers and everything. It says quote Yesterday, as my husband and I watched your show Nick of Time with William Shatner and Patricia Breslin, the actor in answer to the actress, William Shatner said, quote, stop treating me like a retarded child. My husband and I were stunned at this malicious sounding statement. If only you knew how f- how that statement hurt. Couldn't you have used a different term? I have a feeling we are not alone in feeling this way. We have a retarded dar- darling that God sent us. Um, end quote. So first of all, I I kind of laughed a, a little bit to myself because like this is this is a letter saying like, oh, that's a very insensitive word to use and and you could have used another word and then she throws out the word retarded to just describe her child. That I thought that was kind of interesting. But Serling's response uh was Serling said, and I quote, uh he wrote this he wrote this to her, and I quote I did not write the script of Nick of Time, but I know the writer personally and professionally, and I also know that he is a man of stature and goodwill who would never knowingly have caused as much personal hurt to you as he obviously did with a thoughtless throwaway line, which to him meant nothing, but which to you must have been heartrending. Please accept my apologies in this and my assurance that it will never happen again on my show or any program in which I have a part too often. We go along blithely unaware of the myriad meaty meanings of language amongst people where to where to most a certain line is general, unspecific and quite innocuous to others. It has a very special meaning and can be both damaging and offensive. I'll be most careful of this in the future. And I thank you so very much for calling it to my attention. Um, I just think that's, 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 uh, I, uh, I just think that that's a great response. Like, Serling really, uh, did well with that. I thought that was a very nice, um, uh, nice way to handle that. Situation, essentially. He's, I just have so much, like, as I'm going through the show, I'm gaining so much respect for Rod Serling. It's, it's ridiculous. Um, and that's basically all the trivia that I have. Overall, um, Nick of Time, I thought was a really strong episode, and it had a few, a few, um, visual flourishes, like that shot of them going into the diner in, in the first scene where they kind of zooms out from, uh, revealing that the camera is behind the divider. Um, like small, like kind of low-key, but still uh, visually appealing flourishes like that really make this episode even more of a joy to watch. And the chemistry between uh, William Shatner and Patricia Breslin was great, and I love the characters, and I just love that it was an optimistic story. So overall, I really enjoyed this episode. Of the Twilight Zone. And of course, before we move on to this week's bonus review, here's a highlight from a recent episode of the Obsessive Viewer, which is a movie and TV podcast I host over at ObsessiveViewer.com. Tiny and I used to work together as security guards. Yep. I don't know if I should say this, but we would have downtime yes. um, in the middle of the night when we worked nights, so we would like kind of watch a movie. and Um, and i'm shocked that i did not force you to watch this freaking movie because cats and dogs is freaking amazing Uh um yeah of course you can find the obsessive viewer on itunes stitcher google play and at obsessiveviewer.com and you can find more of my podcasting over at obsessiveviewer.com slash podcasts for this week's bonus review, I am actually somewhat doubling up, I guess. Um, <laughs> uh, technically doubling up. Um, I'm reviewing an episode of the 1980s Twilight Zone. Uh, this episode is season one, episode 20, which includes the stories Profile in Silver and Button Button. So first I'm gonna start with Profile in Silver. Um, this story, of course, these bonus bonus reviews, I'm not going to spoil anything. So basically profile in silver is about a man who has traveled back to the 1960s and, uh, as a field historian and, uh, essentially prevents the Kennedy assassination and time travel. Things happen. <laughs> um, I thought that this was a very, very, uh, interesting story and I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed it. um, The experiences I've had, the limited experiences I've had with the Twilight Zone from the 80s, the iteration in the 80s, is that I haven't, I haven't really been that, I wouldn't say impressed by it, but it's kind of has this, when watching these episodes directly after watching one of the classic episodes, it kind of puts, puts the 80s Twilight Zone at a, at a pretty high disadvantage for my enjoyment of it. Uh, which is probably a problem for me, but nonetheless, I try to, I try to be impartial on it, but these episodes that I've seen are usually kind of, uh, they don't have that Rod Serling gleam to them, obviously, but this episode was pretty strong. I, I actually enjoyed it, uh, quite a bit. There's some interesting twists at the end that, uh, I thought kind of wrapped up the story pretty well. Um, and also kind of some interesting things revealed at the beginning of the episode, like i said he the the main character uh Joseph Fitzgerald, is a field historian, and i <laughs> like the idea of this episode is that uh, people from the future travel back in time to research uh the research history and then report back. Um, I love that as a concept. Like I've say, I've stated several times on this podcast, and I'm a huge fan of time travel. But one of the kind of thought experiments I do, or one of the things I do when I'm bored, is like I just wonder, like how awesome it would be to be able to go back in time with like HD camera equipment and film just the past in HD. And it, it's a fascinating thought experiment. I love that this is kind of the same feel there. Um, and there are some interesting kind of angles that, uh, that are revealed. There's some interesting reasons for him to be so, um, interested in JFK and the, the reason for him to, um, intervene with the assassination is compelling in its own right. And you can kind of get a sense of why, like you, you can buy, you can easily buy into his motivation for wanting to save Kennedy. Um, and so it's no secret really if this is, I mean, this is a save, this is a, um, a story of trying to, you know, prevent the Kennedy assassination and he succeeds in preventing it. But the fallout of that is what, um, is what he deals with throughout the last half of the episode. And first of all, the actor that plays Joseph Fitzgerald, he's, he was a little flat for me. Like he was a little, a little bland. Uh, there's a, there's a scene that it's a dramatic moment where he, where it ends the act for the episode and it goes to commercial, but it's on the line that (laughs) he's just like, Oh my God, what have I done? And this could have been like, that could have been such a, such a great like, uh, moment to end the act on, but it just comes across as super flat and uninteresting and just very bland. Um, it's just – it's you don't get the sense of tension or you don't get the sense of drama from his read on it. And I thought that it was uh, – like it leads you down a path that uh, I thought was very fascinating as a fan of time travel stories of things that he would uh, – something that he has to do to essentially correct the um, – to fix the space time continuum. Um, I really, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I did notice, and this was a nice touch. Um, there's a scene where he is in a room while a T television is playing behind him and it's on a newscast. And then right at the end of the scene, you hear the announcer say, our, "And uh, you hear the announcer say now back to our regular programming. And then you hear a piece of the twilight zone theme music I just thought that's such a nice touch because he, of course, he's in 1963 and, uh, the Twilight Zone would have been airing. And I just, I just, I thought that was a nice touch. I'm just such a sucker for those types of, uh, Easter eggs and and things. So, um, I won't give away the ending of this episode, but the, the ending itself is kind of, I don't know if I'd say cheesy, but it's, it's kind of. I I mean it makes sense like like the w- what happens makes sense for a multitude of reasons but I just thought like okay that's it's a little it's a little tough to buy I guess but uh I thought it was a pretty solid story in its own right. Um yeah and that's Profile in Silver it aired on March 7th 1986. And so the second part of this and the reason why um this is the bonus episode, bonus review for this episode. Uh, the second story is Button Button, which was based on a short story by Richard Matheson. Um, so it's about a uh, a couple who are having some uh, kind of money problems that they re- and they receive just this mysterious package. This uh, mysterious box comes uh, to their home, and they are told that it's just a box it's just a box with a button that they if they press it they'll get $200,000 tax free but someone that they don't know somewhere someone somewhere that they do not know will die um and that premise alone is such a fascinating premise like that's i i really want to see the movie the box which is also based on the short story um from 2007 I think. Um the early 2000s. Uh basically that's that has Cameron Diaz and I can't remember who the male lead is, maybe Jim Caviezel. Um but it's basically the same story, obviously. I want to see that because this iteration of it, uh this the 1980s Twilight Zone version of it is not good. Um <laughs> I really didn't like it. Um I think part of the reason why I didn't like it is because I think the intention was for, for was for it to be a comedic take on the story. Um, I think that they were trying to make it a comedy because that's the only explanation i can I can uh, give for the way that the actors were uh, performing in this episode like it's it was mind boggling to me like the actors have played the the man and the woman in the episode they seemed like they were constantly just way, way over emoting with their facial expressions. Like I, like my note says, what are these actors on? <laughs> because like their, their, their faces are crinkling and, and they're very much like they're just overacting with their facial expressions, but their line readings are not, matching the energy of their facial expressions. Like it's, it's so bizarre and I don't know if that was intentional and if, and if the story was intended to be a, um, a comedic take on the story and more lighthearted than what I, I anticipated it to be, or if it was intended to be a serious thing. Um, but just ended up being unintentionally hilarious, bordering on incredibly cringy. Um, and again, I'm still up in the air on whether or not it, it's supposed to be, it was intended to be funny or, or if it was just a fail failed dramatic episode, but I am inclined to believe that it was supposed to be comedic because I hope that, you know, I, I want to hope that someone saw, someone saw it as a comedy and and created as a comedy because the performances are just so distractingly bizarre that the alternative is that someone actually got a job working in Hollywood to create something that it was this tone ambiguous. Um and I do think that it was supposed to be comedic like there's a shot the night the night after they receive the the box that they're shown in bed and the woman is is wide awake and the husband, (laughs) the husband is asleep next to her. She has all of the covers. He's curled up in the fetal position, snoring really obnoxiously loudly. So I, I think that it's supposed to be comedic. Now, if I didn't, if it just didn't strike my funny bone, that's, I mean, that's, you know, different strokes for different folks. People have, people have different, uh, comedics or comedy sensibilities and, and senses of humor, but, and that's fine. But even though I didn't find it funny, if it was supposed to be funny, I didn't find the characters viewpoints, uh, or opposing viewpoints. I didn't find it very, interesting or engaging Um, their, their performances, the acting between the two of them was so bad and off-putting to me that I couldn't even begin to buy into their opposing viewpoints. Like I couldn't even like the alternative or the, to compare it um, to Nick of time. Like I was immediately into Don and Pat's relationship and their, their chemistry. And then this is just like, I was struggling to find a way into the story and I just couldn't find it. Um, having said that the story itself, the idea of this couple on hard times receiving this, this device that could get them, um, enough money to be fine for, for a while and fix all of their problems. Um, but the cost is the death of another human being that they do not know. Like the thought experiment of that is incredibly, um, Interesting to me, and it is very much a it's a it's a very very fascinating thought experiment. This just was not executed well, and uh, that this premise deserves a better adaptation. So I don't know if the box is uh is a bet is a good movie or if it's a better. Uh, I don't know if the box is a good movie or if it's kind of a, kind of a mess. I can't remember, or I don't, or I don't know how, uh I don't know if the box with Cameron Diaz, I don't know if that is a good movie per se, but it's got to be a a better movie than this. Um I think, I want to say that the box was critically maligned, but I can't remember. I'm going to have to check that out. Maybe I'll, maybe the next time, maybe the next time a uh Robert Matheson episode comes up on the podcast, I'll do the box as a, as a bonus review. Having said that, I will say that the ending, which I will not give away, of course, was really the episode's saving grace. Um, the kind of last line of the episode kind of paid off the premise and paid off the conflict in, in a pretty satisfying way that felt felt like such a twilight zone ending. And it was, it was really, uh, it was really something I really enjoyed the ending. Um, and I'm curious what it's going to be like on, uh, in other iterations of it. Um, I believe that the box is the only other adaptation of this story. I'm not sure, but I would love to read the short story also. Um, because I'm very, very interested in reading, uh, Richard Matheson's work. So that'll do it for this episode of Anthology. Thank you guys so much for listening. And again, if you like what you've heard and you want to support the show, the easiest way to do that is by leaving a rating and review on iTunes. And uh, yeah, and if you want to donate to the podcast uh, through PayPal, you can do that by clicking the donate button on anthologypod.com or you can become a recurring donor on patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer like Robert. Uh, recently did and all of the money that I receive, all of the, uh, donations and everything goes right into a bank account that is solely for, uh, podcasts, uh, all of the fees to keep the podcast running in the, in the website up and running and all that. So yeah, next week or the next episode next week, I'm going to commit to next week. I'm getting, getting back onto a normal release schedule here. I promise. But next week I will be reviewing the lateness of the hour. Um, and, uh, my bonus review of that episode or my bonus review for that episode will be, uh, the 1969 movie, the illustrated man, which was directed by the guy who directed the lateness of the hour and was an adaptation of a, I believe Ray Bradbury story. Um, so yeah, so that that movie is available for rent on Google play. So go check that out and then uh, check out my review of it. So yeah, I'm, I'm so happy also so happy to, to be back and everything. But also I did just finish my review series on, uh, dimension four Oh four took me some time, but I did it. um, I finally, I finally finished that up. So check that out on the, on the feed here. Um, like I said, in that episode, I'm anticipating, um, black mirrors release happening fairly soon. Uh, so I'll hopefully be, be having another bonus review series. And I think there was talk, um, amongst me or between me and tiny that, uh, from the obsessive viewer of course and also he was in an episode of this podcast but um i think what i might do for the bonus review series for black mirror season four is once i'm done reviewing each episode i might have tiny come on and we might do like a like a season season wrap-up bonus episode for you for you guys so uh be on the lookout for that and be on the lookout for the release date of black mirror because who knows when that's going to happen but uh yeah so That'll do it for this episode of Anthology. Thank you guys so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. I just want to mention that we are currently running a contest where you can win a free Anthology t-shirt. The contest runs from now until January 1st, 2018. If you want to enter, all you have to do is leave a rating and review of the podcast on iTunes or on Stitcher. Take a screenshot of the review and email it to matt at obsessiveviewer.com with the subject line Anthology T-Shirt Contest. On January 1st, I'll randomly select a winner from the entries and we'll get a free T-Shirt mailed to them. We'll be accepting entries until until December 31st at midnight, so make sure you get the email in before then. Thank you for listening to Anthology, presented by obsessiveviewer.com. For more of Anthology and a full archive of my episodes, go to anthologypod.com. And if you want to help support the show, the easiest way you can do that is by leaving a rating and a review on iTunes. You can also make donations to the show courtesy of the donate link in the show notes of each episode and on anthologypod.com. For recurring donations, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer and just choose one of the Anthology reward tiers. If you enjoy Anthology, feel free to check out The Obsessive Viewer, a weekly movie and TV podcast I host with my friend Tiny and occasional guest co-hosts over at ObsessiveViewer.com. You can also join The Obsessive Viewer Facebook group at Facebook.com slash The Obsessive Viewer. For book reviews and commentary on the world of reading, check out our sister site at ObsessiveBookNerd.com and for philosophical discussions from a secular viewpoint, check out my friends Chad and Amanda at thesecularperspective.com. Finally, if you'd like to contact me with your thoughts on the show, my reviews, my bonus reviews, or for any other reason, you can tweet me at Obsessive send me an email at matt at obsessiveviewer.com, or send me a message on Facebook and like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash anthologypod. Once again, thank you guys so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.